Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with Rick DeYoung, my brother, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, I'm fresh off of a Bible conference, Bible prophecy conference in Prospect, New York at Bethel Baptist Church with Pastor Cecil Morris and his fine people. Uh, reunited with old friends and made new friends. What a great conference that we had teaching the prophetic word of God. What a great report, Jimmy. So glad that you had a good conference there. Excited about a great program today with our broadcast partners. Yes, Ken Timmerman will be here, David Dolan, Winky Badad, all with their respective areas that they talk about. Plus, we'll have an update from Julian Avramescu, our friend who's a missionary in Romania going to the Ukrainian border. And then, of course, at the very end, a look at the book with Steve Herzig, Friends of Israel. Uh, we've got a great program in store, and don't go away. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung will be here with the Legacy Series. But let's get started with Ken Timmerman. Ken Timmerman joins us. Ken, thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me on, uh, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Well, we'll look at this conflict from several angles, Ken. And the first one I'd like to look at, I know this past week, Putin called and laid out his demands for a possible peace proposal with the Turkish prime minister. Can you tell us about this and what was said there and, and what that means for the future of the crisis in Ukraine? Well, Putin has put out several feelers, uh, as has Zelensky, by the way, to find intermediaries between him and Zelensky. Uh, this latest one is with Turkey. He's also spoken to Naftali Bennett, the Israeli prime minister who flew to Moscow to talk with him. And his demands remain pretty much what they are, have been all along. He wants to see Ukraine become a neutral country. He wants to Finlandize Ukraine. He wants the Ukrainian government to acknowledge Russian sovereignty over the Donbass, or at the very least, the Donbass areas as independent autonomous republics. He also wants the Ukrainian government to acknowledge Russian sovereignty over the Crimea. But most bizarre among these demands, he's talking about the denazification of the Ukrainian government. Now, let's see. Zelensky, the president, is the grandson of a Holocaust survivor. He is Jewish. And Putin is talking about the denazification of Ukraine. And he's talking also about a plot that Ukraine was going to build weapons of mass destruction. I think there's a huge amount of not just xenophobia, but paranoia in Putin's demands. And I also wonder, where was the imminent threat that led to this invasion? What was it that was so dangerous uh, that was a national security threat to Russia that led to this invasion? So I think there's still lots of things we don't know. And the biggest one is what's inside Putin's mind? What's he thinking? Uh, and it does seem like it's not going to plan. I know many of us thought that this would have been over quicker or that Ukraine would have been subdued faster, but they are putting up a good fight, or apparently it seems like they're putting up a good fight. What I'm worried about and what I'd like your opinion on is what happens if Vladimir Putin starts losing this war? What is he going to do to save face? What is he capable of? And, and, and how do you, I mean, I know that's an opinion question, but what's your opinion on that? Well, first, let me say that the U.S. intelligence community, we've learned this week, estimated that Putin's forces would grab Kiev within three days. So the U.S. was wrong about this as well. Now, what they might have been doing was reporting to the Senate and House intelligence committees what they had learned from their own Russian sources. So they might have been repeating a Russian estimate that would, they would take Kiev within three days. I, I think your question is really important because 
Clearly, Putin is not winning the war. Clearly, the Ukrainians are resisting way more than anybody ever thought that they would. Zelensky has turned into a modern-day Winston Churchill. He's a world hero. He spoke to the U.S. Congress this week, uh, got a standing ovation. He's now the master of this situation, even though he's living in bunkers. He's still appearing on international television, talking to people around the world. He is setting an example for what it means to be a small nation attacked by a rich and powerful, aggressive neighbor. You even had the Secretary of State and even President Inept Biden called Putin a war criminal this week. The war is not going to plan. Putin is getting backed into a corner. And the one thing that he cannot accept, and it's the one thing that the West wants, the one thing that Zelensky wants, if he accepts a ceasefire before capturing Kyiv, it will mean utter defeat for Putin, for Russia. It could mean the end of the Putin regime. What will he do if he gets backed into that corner? Well, I think instead of resigning, which he's not going to do, he's going to smash Kiev. We've seen this before. We saw it in Georgia in 2008 during that war. We saw it in Syria, the way the Russian Air Force would just pound civilian areas, would pound cities until all the civilians had fled. Then they would just raise it to the ground. That will be his game plan for Kiev should he continue to lose this war as he is. Well, the fight that the Ukrainians have been putting up is admirable for sure. And Zelensky, uh, like you said, a, a modern day Winston Churchill. A uh, question I have about that speech to Congress that you alluded to, President Zelensky continues to call for a no-fly zone, even though he knows that that's pretty much a non-starter. Why does he continue to call for that no-fly zone? And do you think he'll get it? Well, I think he has to call for it to gin up more sympathy for the plight of Ukrainian civilians. I think he's right to do so. He's understandable. And it's also understandable that the U.S., NATO, the European countries have no intention of doing this because they do not want to be in direct conflict with Russia. So he calls for the no-fly zone, and what he gets instead are a thousand Stinger missiles. Well, that's pretty good. The Stinger has a, a ceiling of about 4,000 meters, 12,000 feet. So it can only get aircraft that are actually coming down low to bomb. If the Russians bomb from 30,000 feet, the Stinger is useless. That is why it's important uh, to see the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, this week with his Slovenian counterpart. They're now talking about sending in S-300 Russian missiles. These are have much, much higher ceiling. They're like the Patriot missile. You also have Poland now offering to use its Patriot radar to help the Ukrainians track incoming Russian flights, bombing runs, so then they can get those stingers in place, or if they have S-300, they can pass off the radar identification to those missiles. So the Ukrainians now are going to have much more significant air defense capabilities. They won't need that no-fly zone. They can do it themselves. So they're kind of it's a it's a bit of a negotiating ploy. They're asking for the moon, but then hey, we can get this. We can live with that. It's the art of making a deal. Well, let's uh, turn on to my final question. The final thing I'd like to look at. I know yesterday President Biden had a phone call with Xi of China. And this is very interesting, and this is a huge point in the potentially a huge turning point in the war. Can you uh, brief us on that call and what was said there and what that means? Well, apparently this call went on for an hour fifty minutes, almost two hours. And even given for you know, the time for translation, it's still a very long call. 
Biden's main goal was to get Xi to back off of his support for Putin. No weapons, as many reports have come out this week that the Chinese have been considering delivering to Russia, and back off on some of the economic support, the purchase of Russian oil. Now, I don't think the Chinese are going to go along with a boycott or a ban on Russian oil. They might be convinced not to deliver weapons. Now, uh, they need ammo. They can't produce enough ammo to keep the troops uh, up armed. They need artillery shells. They're running out of that uh, on the ground. So that is the kind of they need logistics assistance from the Chinese. And that's what Biden was asking them not to um, deliver. And I would not be surprised if they get some assistance from China, uh, not a public backing off. And the Chinese will do what they always do. They will tell us or they will say to Biden one on one. Of course, uh, we would never think of doing something like this. And then they'll cheat. Uh, they'll do something through the back door. And then we'll go back to them again and say, hey, we caught you cheating. You've got to stop it. And they'll say, oh, well, that wasn't us. That was some independent um, black marketeer. We will, we will prosecute that person. Uh, the Chinese are going to always cheat. That's what they do. But they are not going to deliver main, major weapon systems. For me, the big question mark is going to be whether they continue to buy Russian oil. Uh, that will determine whether Putin can continue this war or whether he has to accept that ceasefire, which could be the end of his regime. I remember at the Olympics, they seemed to be very friendly with each other and showing quite a bit of support for each other, Xi and Putin. Either the performance of the Russian military in this Ukrainian crisis or maybe just the worldwide condemnation that has come upon Russia has changed that friendship? No, I don't think that friendship has changed, but I think Xi's calculation may have changed, his calculation mm -hmm. of Putin's survivability, his ability to weather these sanctions. And as he looks at what's happening to the Russian economy, it's kind of there by the grace of God go I. Should China be subject to that kind of sanctions, it would do tremendous damage to the Chinese economy. And I am sure that that is what both Biden and his national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, was trying to evoke with uh, Xi and Sullivan was talking to his counterpart uh, in China for seven hours earlier this week, trying to make the Chinese understand just how bad it could be should the U.S. and the world decide to sanction China for helping Russia as well. Look, I think, and we've spoken about this many times, but I write about it in Newsmax magazine in April, just which should be out in another couple of days. Uh, there is a axis of authoritarians between Russia, China, and Iran. They are going to stick together through thick and thin. The thing to watch, however, is how much do the Chinese want to be seen sticking with the Russians through thick and thin. So my guess is they will back off a little bit in public, but they will continue to provide life support to Putin and his regime. I agree with you 100%. There's so many moving parts to this situation, and having you here to uh, point these out to us and just keep us informed. I, I tell you, listeners, you need to watch this space in the weeks and programs to come because this information is so important to understand the true motivations and what's going on behind the scenes. So, Ken, I thank you for doing that, and I thank you for being a part of the program, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, thank you, Rick. It's always a pleasure. God bless. Well, we're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, our Middle East News Update with David Dolan right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Authorities warn residents of northeast Japan to prepare for potentially strong aftershocks in the days ahead. A 7.4 magnitude earthquake rocked the region midweek, killing a handful and wounding hundreds. The most powerful earthquake in Japan's history struck the same area in 2011, followed immediately by a tsunami and a nuclear meltdown. Believers supported by Asian Access are helping survivors work through traumatic memories. Pray these conversations lead people to faith in Christ. Next, Russian assaults on major cities in Ukraine continue, though advancement appears to be on hold for now. Civilians continue to pay the highest price in this war. But what if you couldn't hear the air raid sirens or find information about evacuation routes? And that's exactly why Deaf Bridge is helping deaf refugees escape Ukraine through Romania. Stacy McKenzie says Deaf Bridge utilizes its network of deaf Christian leaders to locate people in need, and you can help at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. And we're back here on Prophecy Today Radio with our regularly scheduled segment, and this is what we like to call the Middle East News Update. We focus on things that are taking place in the Middle East, especially Israel, but all over the Middle East. And to do that, we have our regular broadcast partner, Dave Dolan. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be with you, Rick. Well, we'll get started right off. We just spent our first segment talking with Ken Timmerman about the war in Ukraine and what's taking place there. But I wanted to get to an Israel-specific report there. And it says that Prime Minister Bennett has been the, quote, primary mediator, unquote, between Russia and Ukraine. That's what we're hearing in the media. And it uh, seems unlikely that a leader of a country that is itself basically in war uh, low-level war with Iran and uh, Hezbollah and Hamas and uh, the PA and <laughs> two or three others, uh, that, they, that that leader would be uh, chosen. But Naftali Bennett doesn't have as close a ties with Vladimir Putin as Benjamin Netanyahu did. Nevertheless, he still has close ties. We've got to remember that there's five or six cabinet ministers that are fluent in Russian. They're originally from Russia. Uh, Lieberman, of course, being the most famous one. So there's a lot of ties there, a lot of family ties. And the same with Ukraine, with tens of thousands of Ukrainian Jews living in Israel. And by the way, uh, relatives of some of those people that we're visiting are being allowed to stay in Israel because of the war in Ukraine. And without visas, they can stay indefinitely due to the problems, whether they're Jewish or not. Uh, Israel again announced it's going to try to bring the over 100,000 Ukrainian Jews that are eligible to 
make Aliyah to move to Israel and become citizens to do that. But Bennett is just well positioned. He's well liked by Zelensky, President Zelensky, as I mentioned last week, both men being fairly young in their 40s and Jews. Jewish background. Zelensky, by the way, is fluent in Hebrew, which, of course, is Bennett's primary language, although his parents from San Francisco, he's fluent in English and speaks quite a bit of Russian. So again, Israel's right there at the center of the world, Rick, as Ezekiel said, with nations all around it. Uh, and it has close ties with a lot of countries all over the world. And uh, Bennett's just in a position to do this. It was suggested, by the way, that the South African president uh, uh, might be a candidate to be a mediator, but uh, he went and made a speech and said NATO is responsible for this war because they shouldn't have moved further east than they were, and they did, and they provoked Putin, etc. So now they're saying he's out in terms of the world accepting him as a mediator. But the United States is happy with Bennett. Russia's happy with Bennett. Ukraine's happy with Bennett, etc. So we'll see what he can achieve. Well, let's move away from Israel and focus a little bit on Iran right now. We know the massive attack that they had on the United States consulate that's being built in Kurdistan. Could you talk about that a little bit and maybe then relate that to what that means to Israel? Well, it was last Sunday. Uh, there was around 12 missiles, not just rockets, but full-on missiles, ballistic missiles that were fired at Erbil in the north of Iraq, where, of course, the Kurds uh, are. And uh, yes, the U.S. is building a new consulate there. And these missiles landed right in the vicinity of it at the very least. But the Iranians, who for the first time took direct credit uh, for this, uh, said we did it. They usually assign it to their proxy forces, Hezbollah or Iraqi forces or others. They said they weren't aiming at the consulate building, the new consulate. They were aiming at a nearby Israeli training center. Well, the proof of that has grown all week, Rick. It looks like Israel does have some sort of a secret training center there. And uh, more importantly, it later came out that uh, a drone strike was launched upon an army base in western Iran in mid-February uh, on a drone-making uh, facility by drones, six drones, they said, that were Israeli drones. And these are huge ones. They gut uh, buildings. They can really do a lot of damage. And of course, they're pilotless, so it's fairly risk-free. They're expensive, but to send them in, and apparently hundreds of Iranian drones were destroyed in that surprise attack. And the Israeli press said that the uh, military leaders were saying, hey, we can wait until these things are airborne against us and try to shoot them down then, or we can just destroy them on the ground. We did in the 67 war, most of the air forces of the surrounding Arab countries that were about to attack. So Iran is not said that's why they struck your bill, but it's looking more and more like that. It just shows that once again, this shadow war between Iran and Israel is continuing to heat up and could uh, move into a full-scale war virtually at any time. Well, that does seem like a smart military strategy to not have to deal with those in the air. I also have noticed that the United States is coordinating their military moves with the IDF. And I know there were some senior Israeli officials in Washington this week. That seems to be a, a good sign of cooperation between Israel and the United States. Yes, uh, Rick, indeed. The deputy chief of staff was there, the senior general in charge of the Iranian front uh, was there and uh, one or two others uh, talking about yes, getting on the same page 
in terms of what the reaction will be going forward to Iran, especially if, as expected now, uh, the nuclear deal that uh, Barack Obama was behind uh, is revived here, is signed in the next weeks, as we're hearing is going to happen, how that would affect the relationship, what uh, America would see as off limits after that from Israel, whether Israel would still have freedom of action against Iran, etc. So they're discussing all of those topics. Well, I'm concerned, and I'm sure many of our listeners uh, to this radio program are very concerned about this deal. Uh, an agreement is only as good as the trustworthiness of both partners. And I don't think that Iran has ever shied away from the fact that they are our enemy and they are especially mortal enemies of our greatest ally in the Middle East, Israel. So could you give us an update on this nuclear deal and why we keep on pushing for it and what's going to happen if it passes? Well, the details haven't been released yet, Rick. So we're just getting media reports. We can't say anything definite about what the exact terms will be. But essentially, it allows Iran to go back to a pre-nuclear program to retain, we're hearing, uh, most of its centrifuges and most of its facilities. In other words, it could restart the program uh, at the drop of a dime, which is what it did uh, soon after Donald Trump dropped out of the deal in 2019. And they could do that Again, so that's a a grave uh, worry for Israel. Uh, As you say, just the way they... uh, Okay, so they were attacking an Israeli base in another country, Iraq, last week with 12 ballistic missiles that killed a bunch of people and destroyed a bunch of people right next door to the U.S. consulate. I mean, does that sound like a peace partner? Does that sound like a negotiating partner, somebody you want to do a deal with? And on top of that, we now know that Russia has that Putin has been making uh, demands. And he's sort of at the head of the table on this nuclear deal, his country, Russia, very much involved. And he wants to assure a complete uh, flow of oil to uh, out of Iran, not to him as much as to other uh, you know, countries that were getting Russian oil. He wants some other things written into this. So here we're negotiating with Vladimir Putin uh, at the very hour that he's slaughtering uh, tens of thousands of Uh, people uh, in uh, Europe uh, and causing the worst refugee crisis in, you know, 3000 years. Anyway, it's it's ridiculous that we're dealing with Iran, I believe. And I think most Israeli leaders feel that way. And again, Israel didn't invite them to come into Syria, come into Lebanon, come into Gaza. Uh, you know, they're supposedly defending the Palestinians. Well, they're they're not even Arabs, the Persians. They don't speak a language remotely near, you know, and if the other Arabs have peace with Israel, as five countries do now, why should Iran be the guardian of the Palestinians? It's absurd. And uh, yet it looks like the Biden administration, along with so many other things, uh, is going forward with this and um, I think bringing um, a curse on, on America. Well, I agree with you, and I think even just plain old common sense would dictate that this deal does not make sense, especially negotiating with both Iran and Russia. But as we always say, David, and you've pointed this out the last couple weeks, this is something that is foretold of in Bible prophecy in the book of Ezekiel. Well, indeed, and, uh, you know, we can just be thankful that we know the end of the book, because uh, I have some young friends I was talking to the other day that don't know the Lord, and 
they're just scared out of their their minds right now because it sure does look like World War Three has begun. And, you know, it starts in one place, it moves to other places, and it could easily obviously come to a home near you in the form of today's modern weaponry. So it's a serious situation. We do know the end. We know the Lord's involved. We see the prophecies lining up just like the scriptures said they would in the last days. That's over 2,000 years ago those things were written, and here they are unfolding today. So that's the silver lining. That's the good news. The Lord is returning despite all the darkness in this world. Amen. Excellent thought and excellent report, David. Thank you so much for being with us today, and I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week as these uh, activities continue to take place. You know, I'm always blessed to do it, Rick, and God bless you and your family. We're going to take a break right now on Prophecy Today, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Winky Madad, uh, several interesting comments by the Israeli ambassador that we would like to get Winky's take on. You won't want to miss that. Stay tuned right here on Prophecy Today Radio. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. And we're back here on Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events around the world, and especially in the Middle East, and especially in Israel, where we are lucky enough to have our Israeli pundit, uh, our, our man who... Uh, gives us his view and opinions on so many things that are taking place, uh, especially in Israel. He is Israel Madad. He's the former mayor of Shiloh, and he has worked at the Menachem Begin Center in Jerusalem. Winky, thank you for joining us today. Thank you again very much for having me on. Well, I think the technical term I should say to you, Winky, is Purim Sameach. That's right, a happy Purim. It's, it's not quite a holiday, uh, because uh, there's no cessation of work or anything or other things that are connected with the Sabbath or the main holidays, but uh, it is a very happy holiday here. Uh, some people take it to the extreme with a little bit of, or should I say, too much alcohol, but there's enjoyment in the synagogue, making noise, a festive type of uh, atmosphere, and, and during the day there's a lot of a carnival type of atmosphere with the costumes and stuff. So it, it, it's a nice and happy holiday. It is a very fun holiday. And it's, of course, we haven't been back to Israel since 2020, but I, we were often there during Purim. And it is a fun time, especially for the children. If you don't mind, could you just rehearse what the holiday of Purim remembers? Well, according to the biblical uh, book of Esther, in Persia, there was a uh, court official who thought that he could get away with ridding the kingdom of the Jews who he didn't like. 
which given today's uh, atmosphere and even maybe 80 years ago or more, that's kind of usual with us, unfortunately. <laughs> but he was thwarted through a combination of uh, an agent of the Jews inside the palace, who was Queen Esther, uh, who was being uh, run as an agent by her uncle or cousin named Mordechai. And they managed to turn the tables on Haman, or Haman, as it said in Hebrew. He ended up on the gallows. It was a fight. The Jews did away with their enemies. And as we say, eat, give away gifts, and uh, enjoy the holiday. And there is also, and that's thank you for rehearsing that for us, and there's also lots of good food, is there not? Ah, uh, we have special food for almost every holiday, and this holiday is sort of like a cookie dough. I'm sure a lot of the women listening to me are saying he doesn't know what he's talking about, but uh, <laughs> cookie dough filled with either poppy seed or chocolate or even some type of, uh, of a... Uh, I and mean, we wouldn't know what to call it, uh, a paste, a fruit paste and stuff. Jelly they, donuts, basically, right? Well, not the donuts, the jelly cookies, okay? We'll the call them cookies. Okay. And they're shaped as in a triangle. For some reason, I haven't found out exactly why, they're called either Haman's ears or Haman's pockets. <laughs> but uh, that goes way back. And I don't, they taste good. Eat them. Forget about the history. Well, uh, Purim is certainly a happy time in Israel, and so, like I said, we wish you a happy Purim. Uh, hate to move on from that subject, but we have some more, um, maybe not as pleasant subjects to talk about, and one of those is some comments made by the U.S. Ambassador to Israel, Tom Nides. I'd like to take your thoughts on both of these comments. The first was him basically saying that West Bank, uh, quote-unquote West Bank settlement growth, we'd like to call it Judea and Samaria, to him is infuriating. And he basically called it a, a stupid thing that these settlers are doing. Could you comment on that and, and what you think about him making these statements? Well, the first thing is I'm not going to call him stupid, but it was stupid of him, first of all, to do a webinar with Peace Now. I mean, uh, it's one thing if he was making a statement or uh, talking to a government official or even during his Senate confirmation hearings, if he had said that. Uh, but to go to a partisan political group, uh, as he did, I mean, it's on YouTube. Anybody wants to check it up, uh, you know, you can Google his name and add Peace Now webinar or something like that. That was silly of a diplomat. Any diplomat, I would say, okay? That's the first thing, which, of course, to me, testifies to his level of intelligence in general. But the comments he made were non-diplomatic. It's one thing to say the United States does not agree that the growth of this, quote-unquote, settlements furthers the cause of peace. I mean, we've heard that for, what, Rick, 40, 50 years or something like that. It's an obstacle to peace. It's a hindrance. Okay, that... But to get into it with a group that is actively pursuing mm -hmm. us, uh, they have a unit called the Settlement Watch, okay? And they go to court uh, and they promote uh, pro-Palestinian positions at times. Uh, and then to come around and say it's infuriating, it's stupid, or as he did last month, I can add, uh, I will not visit a settlement. 
uh, settlers can come and visit with me, but I won't go to visit them, is like really um, putting a match to the tinder uh, in, in the sense of um, in, in politic relationships between the United States or the embassy, at least, and, and Israel. Well, I certainly think this is reflective of the uh, presidential administration here and their view on Israel, and so we should keep that in mind as we look at this situation. He's also said some other things. He put out a tweet earlier this week, and, and basically he said he's pleased to see lots for Palestinians in the budget just signed by POTUS, President of the United States, Biden. $144 million increase. Now that now they're getting a total of $219 million. So that's $144 million increase for economic support funds. But again, we have to remember, much of this is either going to the leadership of the Palestinian Authority or is being funneled to families of terrorists. Is that not correct? We know that the United States has no oversight of a credible nature to prevent these funds from going to support terror directly or indirectly. For example, educational programs, radio broadcasts, a naming of schools after terrorists, and all sorts of things that simply encourage or incite against Israel in a violent manner. Uh, and this has been an issue over you know, decades. And we've been complaining. It's one thing to give humanitarian aid it's another thing to say, oh, here, take $100 million and we'll see you next year. Uh, and so uh, if, if Ambassador Nines is just simply ignoring the past history of this uh, or these funds or these type of funds, especially when they also, as I have documented on my blog, uh, discriminate against Jewish residents of the same area. In other words, um, these type of funds do not go to the territories of the Palestinian Authority, which also would include Judea and Samaria. They go to Arabs of so-called Palestinian identity and exclude students, uh, sportsmen, uh, or, uh, musicians of the Jewish communities. So it's really discriminatory. You know, Winky, here at Prophecy Today, we look at the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel as fulfilled prophecy. We are certainly looking at the nation of Israel and saying they have a right to exist. But I mean, even if you look at it from a kind of more of a secular perspective and you look at Israel as the only true democracy in the Middle East and, and, and really the freest country for people of all different nationalities and types to, to live together, these statements from this U.S. ambassador and what it represents from the United States' perspective, or at least the current administration leading the United States, it's got to be concerning, doesn't it? It is. We had to go through eight years of Obama. Now we're going through another four years of Obama, Jr. And it's something that, unfortunately, we have to face. We have, we have the challenge to meet. Uh, we hope that People like me, who are explaining to thousands and thousands of people listening on this uh, on this broadcast all over, uh, will get a little bit more information, a little bit more perspective, uh, another type of view, so they can make a judgment call whether or not your American administration is doing the right thing or not quite the correct thing. Or if they want to do something, do it right. As I said before, you know, oversight of these humanitarian funds. 
which hasn't been in place, or to pursue the Taylor Force Law, right? As we know, the, the Palestinian Authority is still quite adamant upon pursuing its policy of supporting terrorists through uh, stipends to their families and as such. And the United States has a law that says they can't do that. And, and we shouldn't be giving them funds to do that, which goes back to my previous point of oversight. So it's one thing to say, oh, you Israelis or supporters of Israel, you want to give Israel an advantage uh, unfairly. Hey, Mr. United States, administration, of course, not the people, the administration, look at your own laws. <laughs> look at your own uh, regulations in place. All we're pointing at is that Congress and other people should have oversight to make sure that monies are not going spent to encourage other people to kill Jews uh, on either side of the Green Line. So we're talking about a nice holiday of Purim, but as you said, we've moved on to a very serious point of discussion, and I'm sure that the administration thinks it's doing the right thing, and I think that my view and the view of my friends has been expressed in the press and on these this broadcast and other places, should give the administration a pause to deliberate and discuss among themselves whether they're doing the right thing. I uh, 100% agree with you, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here on our program to share with our listeners that point of view. Well, final question. I know, and we've talked about this once before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again, but because of the, the way the calendar works this year, there's a convergence of uh, the three major religions. Islam, you have Ramadan, you have the Jewish Feast of Passover, and then you have the, the Christian Easter. That's all converging, and it's going to be taking place all at the same time, and, and I'm sure Jerusalem is on full alert for this uh, kind of heightened tensions and emotions in the in the city there, are they not? Well, uh, there could be, and it, there's talk that there will be, and uh, I uh, search uh, Twitter and, and, and Facebook for Islamist sites, and they're generating a little bit of excitement. Uh, you would think that the three religions can enjoy each other and saying, look at this, we're in all in Jerusalem, we should be all able to pray and do what our religion says without interfering with anybody else. There's enough place, uh, geographically speaking, there's enough time in a, in a day, uh, and these things should go easy, and, and the, the city should be full of love and appreciation and respect for God and people's religious beliefs. I hope that will be the case. Do I know of instances in the past where it wasn't? Yes, I do. So therefore, I hope that the police will do their duty, which is on the one hand, allow freedom of worship. On the other hand, to make sure that no one interferes with the freedom of worship of any group. Well, it's an interesting confluence of um, events taking place on the calendar this year, and it's certainly on our radar, and it's something that we'll be talking about and looking at as it takes place. Well, Winky, thank you so much for being on the program today, and thank you for informing our listeners. We look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you very much for having me on the program, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, just about two weeks ago, we had a conversation with Julian Avramescu. Now, he is a friend of our ministry. We have been involved with Julian for many years in Romania. We have been at his school, uh, Mia College, as it uh, has been put together to teach uh, to the Romanians and to those from other countries, um, you know, the specifics about, you know, the Bible. 
and Bible prophecy and Old Testament, New Testament surveys, and many churches and pastors around the United States have gotten involved with Julian. Julian, uh, welcome to the program today, brother. Thank you, Jimmy, for having me back. It's a pleasure. Yeah, you know, I know that you and I have done uh, interviews on this program. I've had you on before. Uh, your ministry of uh, reaching the youth of Romania. And two weeks ago when we talked to you, we were just beginning to see the atrocities uh, that were being committed uh, as Russia invaded Ukraine, and you felt a burden. And now two weeks later, try to catch us up, because in a moment you're going to tell us where you're headed tonight, but catch us up as to what has happened and how the Lord has blessed in the last two weeks. Yeah, Jimmy, uh, our office, it's uh, basically in the same building with uh, crew, with Campus Crusade for Christ. And, mm. uh, they have a big building here, uh, downtown Bucharest. And, uh, you know, God touched their hearts uh, to open up uh, the big rooms that they had. And uh, people came and brought mattresses and beds and everything that needs so we can receive uh, refugees. Wow. And then I realized, you know, the borders were full with Ukrainians coming to uh, Romania. But uh, when everything started, everything took us by surprise, you know, the whole world. Mm -hmm. And the refugees didn't have transportation. Even though churches were getting ready to receive uh, refugees, there was no transportation. And uh, as I was watching the news, I could see, you know, moms... Mm young moms with their kids staying in lines in uh, outside waiting to cross the border mm. come here and you know uh, the romanian government they put tents and all of them staying there and i felt a burden on my heart you know how can i help you know and i have this uh, facility in bucharest then these people are at the border and god blessed us with two vans so immediately i got uh, another staff member and we start going to the borders and bringing people to our facility. Wow, wow. And not only that, but then you started gathering um, goods. You started gathering donations, and people from yeah. the United States and around the world donated to you so that you could purchase some just basic items to give to the Ukrainians. Jim, just uh, today we bought like 300 pairs of uh, socks, uh, gloves, uh, shoes, pants. Uh, we bought again just uh, literally as I'm talking to you, uh, we spent $10,000 just on medical supplies. And, uh, you know, God blessed us uh, because we have a Ukrainian missionary uh, that uh, we know and he's a serious guy that works there uh, with crew and uh, with youth. And he's on the ground. And he said, this is what I need. We have Ukrainian soldiers that are, t are taking care of our church building and the surroundings. And this is what we need as a church. And this is what the soldiers are asking, if you could please help them. So uh, they ask for a lot of medical supplies and food and baby food. And most of the people that he's working with, they're actually living in bunkers. Mm. And uh, to tell you something that uh, just happened today, as I was uh, text messaging back and forth as we are getting ready to head uh, to his location tonight, uh, he, he said, Julian, please be praying for me. I'm with my kid at the hospital 
and the Russians planes are uh, going above the hospital as we are as I'm uh, writing to you right now so wow. please be praying that uh, nothing bad will happen so what's his name what's his name, God, what's his happened, name? But, uh, Sasha Sasha we'll be praying for Sasha we have lots of people Julian that listen to this program I'm going to give you an opportunity to give me a, a location as to where people could go to help out the ministry uh, of what you're doing. But you know, folks, uh, Julian, and he's a longtime friend, uh, when Rick interviewed you two weeks ago, we, uh, you know, we said we need mm-hmm. to get a hold of you. Talk. I, I remember hearing in your voice, you know, you had just come through a conference with a pastor from Florida. You had a great time. Mm-hmm. He was getting ready to go home. You started to see these people coming in. Uh, but today, two weeks later, Julian, I could hear it in your voice. You're weary, you're tired, but you still feel the need <laughs> to make this trip tonight. And so, tell us about where you're headed this evening. Yes, uh, Jimmy. Indeed, I'm. I'm. I'm super tired, but in the same time, inside, I feel a huge, huge burden. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm heading back uh, to the border. Uh, it's called Palanca. We're going to go to the country of Moldova. Mm. And then from the country of Moldova, we're going to go to the border Palanca, which is uh, south of Odessa, where this missionary is uh, serving. And Odessa has been hit really hard by the Russians. And people need desperate, desperate help. Every day, these guys uh, texting me, when are you coming? When are you coming? We mm. need help. So, you know, they run out of food, of supplies. Uh, it's cold right now, so they need all the help they can get. So uh, by God's grace, me and another guy, two vans, uh, pack vans, and together with uh, another pastor, Jeff, he's going to join us, uh, Jeff mm-hmm. Denton, and we're going to drive together there to uh, unload and, and help these guys. Now, Julian, I know that you're, uh, uh, you know, you have grown up in Romania. You came to the, uh, you went to school in Hungary. Then you came to the United States. You worked at a, at a very big church in Dallas. And then you decided to go back home to Romania mm-hmm. to reach the youth of Romania. Um, and I know your background a little bit. Do you have any thoughts as to why and uh, why this is happening? In, in, uh, in Ukraine and Russia? You know, it's it's all about power. It's all about pride. Mm. I think this is something that we all we all struggle, uh, you know, at a big level or, or, or a small, a small level. level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, it's just as harmful. Yeah. Uh, it's just as uh, painful no matter what. So, uh, you know, it's affecting a lot of people what's what's happening in in Russia and it's sad to see this in the 21st uh, century uh, what uh, but I'll I'll tell you this uh, Jimmy uh, I I think suffering mm. is causing us to remember who God is mm. and I think we need suffering even though we don't like it it's necessary Mm-hmm. Just like we discipline our children, and we don't like it, even though they think we like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you don't want to see your kid going astray. And I think, you know, I'm not a judge, uh, but I think uh, it's for our best, even though it doesn't look like it. I think the church, uh, the people, you know, they're mad on the system. They're mad on, uh, you know, uh, world powers and even though there is so much power uh, to certain countries and people um, and nothing really it's done for the little people, you know, the mm-hmm. the 
everyday man, a person, um, we are all uh, we are all turning to God uh, yes. to a certain point. You know, some of us we we see God in this and we humble ourselves and we surrender, and some other they continue to fight with God and definitely definitely they're not going to win. Yeah. Well, when you see this, it's truly a humanitarian crisis. If you had a message that you could give to the body of Christ as to uh, why the need to go, you have felt Mm -hmm. that need. You have felt God calling you to put yourself in harm's way. But uh, you see this, correct? You see that God is is pulling you and and really ordering your steps to go this direction. Yes, uh, you know, nobody likes war, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, war should not happen, but but it can happen, and it's a proof that it, it's happening right now, and uh, something that God really laid on my heart, even though some people in Europe, uh, they are against the Ukrainians, believe it or not, mm. and but most of the people are against uh, Russia, and not necessarily Russia as much as Putin, mm-hmm. but when I go to the border and I pick up these ladies with their kids, I'm like, this could be mm. my wife. Mm-hmm. This could be my kids. You know, it doesn't matter that they are Ukrainians. This could be my family. It can happen to anybody. Mm. And how would I like for my family to be treated? Mm. So this is something that God really is touching my heart and I see that we need to get rid of the barriers, stop judging, even though, you know, I don't want war, but mm-hmm. it's happening. Yeah. What do I do about it? You know, I see those people and I'm like, I like it or not like it, I need to help them. Mm-hmm. But having Jesus into my heart, I know I need to love my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a command. It's not something that I choose. And I do it because he first loved me. But anyway, I don't want to preach, but I, I just, just want to say that we need to love them. Mm. We need to love these ladies. Uh, it's it's heartbreaking. I'm, I'm here. I see I have I see these kids. Our team is playing with them every day mm. uh, because we work with youth and we have a big room. Uh, we uh, change it into a children's uh, room. And uh, all our staff, it's there every day uh, playing, you know, eight hours a day with them. Mm. And I see them, they're full of joy. And then they see me, for example, and with my boys and my boys, they're screaming, calling me, hey, daddy, come and help me or mm. something. And I see then this kid's reaction. They cannot be, hey, daddy, yeah, because their daddy's back home fighting. R- right. And it, it, it's it's heartbreaking what you see here, and and, and the moms when they see that they run out of the mm. room because yep. they don't want the kids to see them crying, wow. missing their husbands. Wow. So it's it's heartbreaking. So please, please, everybody who is listening, uh, please be praying because yeah. you know I, I think Satan is also attacking, trying to destroy a generation. Sure. This generation and- is gonna be. Uh, you know, uh, messed up because of this. Yeah. You know, they're going to have uh, repercussions, and definitely we need to to pray and work harder as ever. Well, I can hear the, uh, the sorrow in your voice. I know that you believe wholeheartedly 
that we have the hope, we have the answer for them. Um, and by reaching out to these young people, you can help that next generation, should the Lord tarry, of Ukrainians that will grow up at least having uh, been given the answer uh, of uh, how God does love them and can take care of them in this type. And, you know, Julian, you and I both believe Bible prophecy. We understand that things can get worse, will get worse before the rapture of the church. We're, we're not even talking about the tribulation period. We're talking about before the rapture comes, and we do mm-hmm. need to be prepared. We do need to be ready to to do whatever we can as a body of Christ to help those in a dying world around us. Yulian, do you have a website or anything that people can go to to uh, see if they could help you? Yes, sir. LifeRomania.org. It's our website. Uh, you can click there. Uh, you can find what we are doing. Also, donate if you want to donate. Uh, but uh, under designation for donation, please write down Ukraine. And mm. that's exactly where everything is going to go. LifeRomania.org is the website. Yulian Avramescu, his family, please keep them in prayer. Keep uh, Sasha and his uh, son in prayer as they're sitting in the hospital with Russian planes flying overhead. We have seen it all on TV, folks. And here you're Mm -hmm. getting a chance that you could help and be a part of uh, helping someone else in a foreign in another country around the world to to further to bring glory and honor to god the father julian thank you so much godspeed brother and we'll be praying for you thank you appreciate that well we got to take a break and when we come back dr jimmy DeYoung in the legacy series he's continuing on in the alpha and omega series right here on prophecy today weekend Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with my brother, Rick, we are examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, I just had a great conference up in Prospect, New York, Pastor Cecil Morris. Uh, As a matter of fact, that group is going to Israel with us. We are uh, getting ready to start taking groups to Israel. I do know that a lot of people are going to Israel, but uh, we had a prophecy conference up there teaching God's prophetic word. We will keep people uh, aware of future Bible prophecy conferences. Yeah, Jimmy, one way you can do that is by returning frequently to our website at prophecytoday.com. There you can find out where we're going to be at conferences, what tours we're planning in the future, and and of course, our last trip to Israel was in early 2020, Jimmy, and then, you know, the world shut down. And so we, like everybody else, have been waiting patiently, or sometimes impatiently, getting ready to go back to Israel, the world's best classroom to teach the Bible, right? Yes, I'd love for folks to go with this. It's a great backdrop as you're teaching there throughout the land, seeing everything. Uh, Israel passed present, and then the future, of course. And that's why we keep our eyes on the Jewish people, because we know that God still has a plan for the Jewish people. He's not finished with them yet. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and you will find out all the information for our trips, for future Bible prophecy conferences, and we would love to have you come and join with us in the future. In our study of Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, we started to study Genesis chapter 1, the account of the six 24-hour days of creation. So far as we've studied the first two days of creation in Genesis 1, verses 1 to 8, today we will finish our study of the six days of creation and rejoice with you as we better understand how the Lord Jesus Christ brought everything 
into existence some 6,000 years ago. You'll see how the sixth day of creation, the Lord gave Adam and Eve dominion over all of creation. God actually set up his kingdom right here on the earth in the beginning. We will look at the pattern and the place for the eternal kingdom on this earth in our study as well. And now Dr. Jimmy DeYoung with the Legacy Series, Alpha and Omega. Then the third day of creation, look at verse 9. And the Lord God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. Verse 11. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. Do you see that? He gave age to what he created. He didn't take an orange seed, push it in the soil, put it around some uh, moss over it, put water on it, put fertilizer, and hope that it would grow up to be an orange tree. And then after it matured, it would put some oranges on it that you could pluck off and eat. He created a tree bearing fruit. You got to take it literally or forget studying prophecy with me and forget the redemption story as a literal truth for you to appropriate for eternal life. He created it with age. The trees had fruit already on them. You don't think he created Adam as a little baby, do you? And said, oh, Adam, hello, baby. He didn't do that. He brought Adam as a man into existence. Somebody the other day called me on my radio broadcast. And they said, Brother Jimmy, I, I believe in the six days of creation, 24-hour days. But I have a problem. What about those stars out there that have been sending light for hundreds and thousands of years? Same principle. He created a star out there with age and had light on the way to earth. You know, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to understand. Just literally take what the Word of God says. Look at the, I love this fourth day too. Look here in verse 14. And God said, let the lights of the firmament of the heaven be divided the day from the night. By the way, how do you think we have day and night based upon this creation? Do you think that took eons of time? And so he put them in signs for the seasons and for the days and for the years. Verse 15. And let them be for the lights in the firmament and the heaven given unto them light unto the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Of course, that's the sun. I just love it. Here, here's God. All right, I'm going to put the greater light up. There's the sun. And I'm going to put the lighter, lesser light. There's the moon. And it's like on this fourth day of creation, he's done the sun and the moon. And he's walking away and he's, oh, oh, yeah. And the stars also. Four words. And the stars also. Isn't that fantastic? My brother, my little brother sent me. Some pictures from the Hubble telescope, most powerful telescope, had a picture there. The very first picture I saw was from the galaxy Sombrero. You know how far away it is? 28 million light years. You know what that is? That's traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. You know how fast that is? Seven times around the earth in one second. Traveling at that speed, that galaxy out there that the Hubble telescope picked up is 28 million light years away from us. And Jesus said, and the stars also. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? It, it's unbelievable. It, what he did, did it on the fourth day of creation. 
How many of you like to fish? You'll like the fifth day of creation. There was the water out there, and he goes, look at all those fish all over the place, man. Little minnows, big old catfish, ugly things with beards, you know. I mean, it's unbelievable. And he says, oh, and he throws the birds up in the heavenlies. That's what he did on the fifth day of creation. Then he comes to the sixth day of creation, has to spend a little time on the sixth day of creation. Has a morning activity and an afternoon activity. Divides the afternoon up a little bit, too. You know what he did in the morning? First thing he did was create dinosaurs. They weren't prehistoric creatures. They were created on the sixth day of creation. They're majestic. Chapter 40, book of Job. Look it up and read it sometimes. He s- describes a dinosaur. A dinosaur like a, has a tail like a cedar trunk of a tree laying in the Jericho River, at Jericho and the Jordan River, and sucking it all up. It's the greatest of all the creation in animal life. And he created dinosaurs. Then he created insects. Now, when I get to heaven, I might have to talk to him about that. I'm not sure that was a good idea. But I just must remember, this is the sixth day of creation. Sin wasn't in yet. So mosquitoes weren't biting you all the time, man. All those other bugs weren't bugging you. You know, he created them all. He did that in the morning. It's about noontime, has lunch. And then he says, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to create me a man. All right? Go to chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our own image after the likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over all the creeping things that creepeth upon the earth. So God created he man in his own image. God created man. Now, it says, and also created woman, but let me tell you, there was some space between there. You know what he did? He created man, and then he wanted to show man that he really didn't have any uh, helpmate out there, so he needed to be doing some other things. And he, uh, he has him name the animals. I love this. Go to chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a helpmate for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them into Adam. He brought them into the Garden of Eden there uh, to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called them, that's what they were called. But you notice what the word said. Go back with me just a moment. Verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image and like our likeness, and let them, T-H-E-M, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God, verse 27, created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over it. You see what is happening there? Creation is absolute, but the kingdom is absolute as well. In the beginning, God created. At the end, he's going to set up a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. The next event in God's calendar of activities. It's the rapture of the church. Jesus shouts, archangel shouts, trumpet God sounds, and we're out of here to be with him. The rapture, it has not happened yet. I am still here. And then there's going to be a seven-year period of time. This is the time of terrible judgment to bring the earth under subjection, earth dwellers under subjection. Let's let this pulpit represent Jesus on a white horse, us on white horses coming back. This is the second coming. That's the rapture. 
This is a seven-year period of tribulation. Sixteen chapters, detailed information in the book of Revelation about that. This is the return of Christ. Here is the kingdom. A thousand-year period of time. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. Satan is bound for the thousand years. We rule and reign with Jesus Christ a thousand years. This is the kingdom. The kingdom is now not in operation. Jesus Christ is not on his throne. He is not king of kings and lord of lords right now. That's yet to take place. The kingdom is over here after the rapture, after the tribulation, after the second coming. Here's when the kingdom is in operation. Why am I getting so emphatic about it? Because 65 years ago, a man tried to establish a kingdom on this earth. He didn't call it a kingdom. He called it a Reich. It was the third Reich. His name was Adolf Hitler. And because the kingdom is promised to the Jews, the kingdom is not promised to us, dear friends. It's not promised to Christians. It's promised to the Jews. And because it was promised to the Jews, Adolf Hitler had to kill six million people who were guilty of one thing. They were Jewish. Because he wanted to set up a kingdom contradictory to God's word. You see, creation is absolute. And the pattern for the kingdom is Adam and Eve. They were the rulers. That means when this kingdom is set up, the pattern will be a husband and wife. Jesus and his bride. We're married to Jesus Christ. After the rapture of the church, we're married. And so the pattern established in Genesis 1 comes into effect in Revelation 20. You and I rule and reign. We don't have that hands-on responsibility. That's for the Jews and the Gentiles that are believers. Christians, we live at the throne house with Jesus. Oh, by the way, you know the place of the kingdom? You know where it was? Chapter 2 says Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. That's where they established their dominion, their kingdom, over all the animals that Adam had just named. They had dominion over everything on the earth. That's their kingdom. Garden of Eden. That's where Jesus Christ will rule and reign from. In this thousand year period of time, he rules and reigns from the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, who's the center of Jerusalem. The Temple Mount in Jerusalem is the Garden of Eden. It's always been, always will be, and is today. The Jews have believed that every day that they celebrate as Rosh Hashanah, the new year, they focus on the Temple Mount. Underneath that gold dome building, what is it called? The Dome of the Rock? That rock is the foundation stone where every Jewish scholar believes Adam and Eve were created. I spoke with the Mufti of Jerusalem, highest ranking Muslim cleric, Sheikh Sabri. He told me it was the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden. That's where it will be headquartered. Pattern. The place. The promise is the Davidic covenant. Have you ever read the Davidic covenant? 2 Samuel chapter 7. David, you cannot build the temple. Your son will build it. And one of your sons will rule and reign from that throne room in the temple on the temple mount in Jerusalem forever. That's the Davidic covenant. That's the promise of the kingdom to come. That's fulfilled in that thousand year millennial reign. The kingdom is not now in operation. Jesus is yet to be called 
King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That actually happens in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16 when that title will be written on his vesture and on his thigh. Remember, Revelation 19 is after the seven-year tribulation period that is described in Revelation chapters 4 through 19. Sixteen chapters of detailed information on the seven years of judgment. And this all happens before Jesus returns to the earth and sets up his kingdom. In our study today, we saw the pattern for that kingdom. The place for the kingdom is the Garden of Eden which is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Next week on the broadcast, we'll continue our study of the relationship with the six days of creation, the Alpha, the beginning, and the millennial kingdom, the Omega, the end of history here on earth. The Alpha and Omega series by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. What a great series. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Steve Herzig from Friends of Israel, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Authorities warn residents of northeast Japan to prepare for potentially strong aftershocks in the days ahead. A 7.4-magnitude earthquake rocked the region midweek, killing a handful and wounding hundreds. The most powerful earthquake in Japan's history struck the same area in 2011, followed immediately by a tsunami and a nuclear meltdown. Believers supported by Asian Access are helping survivors work through traumatic memories. Pray these conversations lead people to faith in Christ. Next, Russian assaults on major cities in Ukraine continue, though advancement appears to be on hold for now. Civilians continue to pay the highest price in this war. But what if you couldn't hear the air raid sirens or find information about evacuation routes? And that's exactly why Deaf Bridge is helping deaf refugees escape Ukraine through Romania. Stacy McKenzie says Deaf Bridge utilizes its network of deaf Christian leaders to locate people in need. And you can help at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D. Young Jr. and along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word for the last hour and a half. Well, as we're coming to the end of the program, we always call this section of the program a look at the book, where we examine all the current events that we have looked at and tie it in to God's prophetic word. This week on A Look at the Book, we have Steve Herzig, who is the North American Director of Ministries for Friends of Israel. Welcome to the program, Steve. Ah, oh, it's great to be here with you. Well, the, the Jewish people have just come through the holidays of Purim. 
Could you just give us an understanding and as we are taking a look at the book and how this fits in with the book of Esther? Yeah, I sure will, Jimmy. I really appreciate the time. Well, you know, it's an interesting book because God's name's not mentioned in it. There's a lot of coincidences, Jimmy, mm-hmm. and you and I know as we take a look at the book, there is no such thing as coincidences. The Jewish people were spared, uh, and I like to say if it wasn't for Purim, there wouldn't be Christmas. If it wasn't for Hanukkah, there wouldn't be Christmas, and if it wasn't for Purim, there wouldn't be Christmas, because if all the Jews were killed, there'd be no Lord Jesus Christ. And so that book is uh, important. Uh, only book, as I said, that God's name's not mentioned yet. I submit to you he was there all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jewish people are spared. I grew up celebrating uh, Purim. We read the whole book of Esther. It's called the Megillah. Whenever we hear Haman's name, we boo and hiss, <laughs> boo. and we have noisemakers. That's right. And and I, I did it with my grandkids this week, oh. uh, and it's just a joy to do that. And uh, it's just a, a, a celebration of, of God's working under the conditions that are there, and he does. He was there all the time, and Jewish people celebrate. I know you've probably been in Israel mm-hmm. uh, during uh, Purim, and all the kids are dressed up in every oh. kind of— Thing you can imagine. When I was a kid, you were either Esther, Haman, Mordecai, or Ahasuerus. Now they're Marvel comics, they're <laughs> Teenage Mutant Iron Ninja Man, Turtles, yeah. <laughs> Iron Man, all that stuff. So that's it in a nutshell, Jimmy. So I think one of the keys is that if it wasn't for Purim or if it wasn't for Esther and being there at a time such as it was, the Jewish people by the Persians would have been wiped out. And this is a program that Satan really has been trying to inflict throughout all of history, he wants to defeat the Jewish people. If he can de- defeat the Jewish people, wipe them out, he can defeat God. And as we learn from you, all he has to do is to get rid of the foundations of the the sun, the moon, the stars, and the earth. But how can we relate this? As we're taking a look at the book, how does this fit in today as we are watching what's taking place in our world? And how does Esther fit in with what's happening? Well, you know, I told you that uh, the the name of God is not there yet. I'd submit to you that the gospel is there. Mm. Let me tell you why I think that. The king is, as as a Persian king, once he signs a decree, he can't change the decree. Uh, He's allowed to write a different decree. And in the book, that's exactly what happens. He wrote a, a decree under Haman. The Jews were to be killed on a certain day. But he issued another decree so that the Jewish people could defend themselves. And they did. Well, God issued a decree, and that decree was the soul that sins dies, mm. and God can't change that decree. Then you have Haman, more illustrative of Satan, uh, Satan wanting to destroy the Jewish people to thwart the plan of God, Haman wanting to destroy the Jewish people. And then, then you have Esther. Esther was willing to give up her life. Mm. In the text, she says, if I perish, I perish. She was willing to die for her people, so she goes in to the king and tells him she's Jewish. And then the story here is that the Lord Jesus was willing to perish. He was Mm. sent by the Father, who sent his only son to die. Only in this case, there was no sparing of his son. His son had to go to the cross to pay the price for our sin. And so you can see the gospel narrative, even in a book where there is no name of God there. You have the king who has a decree, God issued a decree. The king issued a second decree. God sent his son. 
the seed of the woman back in the garden, and that plan is laid out. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. So you see how how the gospel plays a role in the book of Esther. And then, Jimmy, you made that, uh, the, your statement from Jeremiah, of course, is where nothing can can stop the, the Jewish people from mm. existing, because God would have to eliminate the sun, moon, and stars. Well, if you go back in history, you realize that Satan tried to prevent uh, the seed from coming. Mm-hmm. The seed did come. Then he tried to prevent that seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted him to compromise, and he did not. He, he refused to do that. And then Jesus who came to the earth. He came to suffer and die. I, I'm sure Satan would have wanted to prevent him from going to the cross. That's right. why he offered him the kingdom. But in, instead, Jesus died, rose again, and now Satan is about the business of trying to prevent him from coming back in power and glory. Mm. And so he's unleashing anti-Semitism against the Jewish people. He's threatening the existence of the land of Israel as belonging to the Jews. He wants to do that, but of course we know that Jesus Christ is coming back to Israel. He's coming back to his own people, and Satan has already lost. And Jesus has won. But in the meantime, uh, just like in the book of Esther, when it all seems for for lost, mm-hmm. when it seems that the Jewish people are going to lose, Jesus Christ gets the victory. He gets he, he got the victory as God getting the victory over Satan with the Jewish people overcoming with uh, Antiochus's second decree. Jewish people, Israel's interested in peace. And as we try to relate the Bible, the book of Esther to today, you look at the nation of Israel. And you know, Jimmy, the nation of Israel is interested in peace. The nation of Israel is interested in helping <laughs> helping nations, wanting desire harmony. And we, of course, know there will not be peace until the Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes. Amen, amen. Steve Herzig from Friends of Israel, National North America Director. You're at a conference right now. Thank you so much for taking the time to explain to us how we can see God, even though the the name God is not mentioned in Esther, we can see God in his hand throughout Esther and how it applies to us today. Thank you so much, brother, for taking the time to share with us. Hey, thank you, Jimmy. You know, Rick, as we finish up the program today, we do see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit present in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And we know that God is sovereign over all of the world, and he has a plan from the past, he has a plan for the present, and he has a plan for the future. And we are looking forward to that event that kicks it all off, which will be the rapture of the church. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again next week on Prophecy Today Weekend. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.